Good morning. It's good to be talking to you this morning. This morning, thank you for that, Mike. Cheers. Have you got the clicker, please? Thank you. This morning, we're going to be uh, continuing our journey, this series that we started two weeks ago on the first chapter of Second Peter. And we've named the series Character That Changes the World. And we've named it that because as we work through the series, we're looking at the verse where Peter writes to the people, add to your faith, add goodness, to goodness, add knowledge, and we're going to continue along through this pathway. So this morning, we're looking at knowledge. Neil talked last week about goodness, and the week before, about faith. Knowledge is a bit of an interesting one, isn't it? Because we live in an age where any general knowledge quiz can be completely ruined when someone pulls out their phone. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all done it. And we go on, a, on our phone and we go onto this website. Other search engines are available. But we can go onto Google and we can appear to get information and find information on any subject. It's good and it also has downsides. One of the good things is in our house for years I really struggled with the fact that whenever we would watch a film... Certain people should remain nameless, but I was never allowed to watch the first 20 minutes because we had to have a discussion saying, oh, he's been in something else, hasn't he? You know, the one with the taxi and the dog. And yeah, He's an actor, that's what he does. But now you just go on your phone, you Google the film, you Google the actor, and you find out all about it. It helps make us look clever because when our children are doing their homework and they ask you a question that you think they think you should know, Dad, Dad, what, what's the capital of Cyprus? You stall them by saying, do you not know, as you pull out your phone, and say, obviously it's Nicosia, it has a population of 200,000, and is the most southerly of all capital cities in the European Union. Did you not know that? Did you not? <laughs> we do, don't we? We can grab information from anywhere. Just a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jamie's car broke down, and he was upset that his car broke down, and I said, don't worry. I went on Google, put in the make and model of the car, put in the symptoms, and Google told me what the problem was and what part I needed to replace. So I got the part, looked at YouTube, worked out how to do it, and replaced that part of his car, turned on the ignition. I'm a mechanical god. It works. It's great. <laughs> Unfortunately, Jamie wasn't as impressed. When we set off to come to Salford the next night, I got 10 minutes into the journey, and the car broke down in exactly the same way. So I was a bit disappointed and got home and called my friend Andrew, who's a mechanic. He's a real petrol head, runs his own business, a very successful garage, knows everything there is to know about cars. And I said to him, this is what happened. I replaced this part, and now it's broken down again. So he looked at me and said, that's really strange. Because obviously when you replace that part, you also replaced this part, didn't you? I went, no. He said, well, this part's only broken because that part's faulty. Everyone was like, why did you only change that part? And I was subject to quite a lot of mocking when my own answer was, well, the man on YouTube never told me to change that part. <laughs> but the problem is, you see, I had gone on and I had got information. Andrew has got knowledge about cars. He understands them. He knows how they work. And so when the sticky time came, Andrew had knowledge and knew how to deal with it. I just had information. And so when Peter writes, he wants us to add knowledge. He's not just talking about information or facts. The word knowledge is used four times in that chapter. Three of the times, um, Peter is referring to our relationship with Jesus. 
And the word he used in the original text means a full and thorough knowledge, a discernment or a recognition. He's talking about really knowing, a real knowledge in relation to knowing Jesus. And the other time it's used is the verse that we're looking at where he says, add knowledge. And the word he uses there, the original word, has a slightly different meaning, but it means a seeking to know, an inquiring, and an investigation. It's not just knowing, but there's an ongoing process to our relationship and knowing Jesus. And that's what Peter is telling us that we need to add when he says we add knowledge. It's something that we see through different parts of the Bible. And Martin is going to come and read our text this morning in Philippians 3 when Paul talks about knowing Jesus. Thanks, Martin. The reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, take hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Thanks, Martin. Thank you. 
Paul is talking about knowing Jesus, but he does so by presenting to us a sort of past, a present, and a future. He talks about his past and says that he has every reason over anyone to have a confidence in the flesh. He knew the law, he knew the customs, he followed them to the letter. He knew sort of all there was to know about God and and what he should be doing. But he also tells us that that wasn't enough. Knowing about God wasn't enough. He needed to know Jesus. He starts with a warning that when we just know about God, it leads to a pride and a self-righteousness that is a problem for us and a problem for all those around us. If you've been around churches for long enough, you all have examples, we all know, don't we, of times when people have taken the scripture and beat someone over the head with it with no understanding of the knowledge and grace and love of Jesus. But Paul says, that's all in the past. And all that learning and all that without knowing Jesus is as rubbish to knowing who Jesus is and to understanding Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And so in the present, he says, I know Jesus. But he does more than that because he gives us a link to the future. In verse 8, when he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The word he uses for knowing is exactly the same as in the original text as Peter used in terms of to chase after, to investigate, and to look for, to know. He's saying, I know Jesus, but I want to keep knowing Jesus. I want to learn more. He talks about an onward journey. In terms of that relationship with Jesus, it's an ongoing process that Paul commits to through his whole life. And he finishes by saying, I'm not there yet. I know Jesus, but I'm going to keep on going until I get there. Paul is telling us that knowing about Jesus isn't enough. We need that relationship. We need to know Jesus, to understand his heart, to know who he is. And so this morning, I wanted to give you an example of the difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. Now, when Neil emailed me about preaching this morning, it was quite a way back, evidently I misread the email. Because according to how I read the email, Neil isn't going to be here this morning, okay? And I'd like to pretend he isn't for the next few minutes because I'm going to talk about him. I would have changed it, but he's the best example we've got because we all know him. And I know it's going to be far more uncomfortable for Neil than it is for me, so I'm happy to carry on. I'm just not going to look here. When Neil came full-time a few years ago from all the other stuff he was doing, I interviewed him, and we pulled up all the stuff on Google that there is about Neil. And so I thought that would be a good illustration this morning. So I went to Google, and I typed in Neil Hudson, as I've done before, And I have to say that you have now been replaced and usurped on Google. You are no longer the first person that comes up for Neil Hudson. If you Google Google Neil Hudson, this chap comes up, (laughs) who is the MP for Penrith and Borders. Now, at first I thought Neil had got another side gig going on. So I thought, well, if I Google Neil Hudson, I'll just get this guy. So Neil has a PhD in theology, so I'll Google Dr. Neil Hudson. But who'd have guessed? (laughs) So I had to go for Neil's Sunday best title, which is Reverend Dr. Neil Hudson. And if you do that, there's Neil's face smiling back at you with a picture 
from what I assume must be over quite a, a long period of time. <laughs> in fact, if you go on images, once you've done it, and you can print off Neil's face. Do you remember when you were a kid, you'd do a, a, a notebook and you'd draw a stick man and flick it? You can see him aging them. But if you go on Google and search him, you see all these things and lots of very nice things said about Neil, about all the different things he does. He was a vice principal of a theological college. He worked where he lectures and still lectures. He uh, worked as the director of the Imagine Project for London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, worked with loads of churches all around the world, particularly in the area of whole life discipleship and missional church. He's written several books on the subject as well. And so if you were a church leader and were looking for someone to come and do a church weekend or a big conference and you wanted a speaker, someone might say to you, Neil Hudson would be your man. Now, hopefully they wouldn't choose the MP for Penrith and Borders to come and talk about whole life discipleship, but you would find Neil and they might book you, book Neil to come and talk at that conference. And they could read all those things, which as far as I know are all true, and they would know about Neil. Similarly, if you were going to the conference and you saw that Neil was a speaker, you might Google him and read about that so you know about Neil before you go. But those people who read that, they know about Neil. They don't know Neil like we know him, do we? They don't know Neil. We know him. For example, the people that go to those conferences, they don't know they need to pick who they sit next to really carefully because at some point in the sermon, he will make you talk to them. We know that, don't we? And we choose who we sit next to very carefully. They don't know that when they go there, not only will they hear him preach, but they will hear him sing because he has a really loud singing voice and he can hold the last note of any song longer than is humanly possible. He has the lungs of a whale. They don't know that because they just know about Neil. We know him. But they don't know that when you need to talk to someone and you say, have you got five minutes? Despite how busy he is, he always has time. We know that. They don't know that when you're struggling and you need to talk to someone, he'll sit and listen and offer counsel. And they don't know that when life really gets difficult, he'll be the first person to say, I'll stand with you and I've got your back. They don't know that. They don't know the good stuff because for that, you have to know the man. You have to be in relationship. You have to have spent time. Peter and Paul tell us, I want you to know Jesus. Do you want me to get rid of that, by the way? Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's there for the rest of the sermon. But what Paul says is that knowing about Jesus is not enough. But really knowing Jesus changes everything. If I really know Jesus, if I know his heart towards me, it changes the way I think about myself. If I know how God views the people I work with, it changes the way I speak to them. If I know what God thinks and how he views my community, I react differently when I face the circumstances and situations. Paul and Peter encourage us to know Jesus, to be in that close relationship. Knowing about him isn't good enough, but knowing him changes everything. So how does that help us in our everyday life? Well, a few years ago, I was working with, a, uh, had a meeting to work with a church in London, and I arrived at about uh, 10 o'clock, the meeting was at 10.30, and I was looking for somewhere to park 
He's in a posh part of London, really busy, and I drove round and round and round, and I couldn't find anywhere to park. I was getting further and further away from the church. I was getting myself in a little bit of a panic because I thought it was going to be late. And eventually I found this road. It was not a dirt track, but it was obviously a private road, not a council-run road. There were big houses on one side, and there were just sort of trees and bushes on the other side. So I parked the car, I was tight into the trees and bushes, jumped out, and I'm walking up and down the road looking for any signs that would tell me whether I could park there or not. A lady came out of the house opposite to see what I was doing. And so I said to her, would it be okay if I park here? She said, well, no, if you park there, they will give you a ticket. Why? What are you doing? So I explained I was late now, late for an appointment. I got a meeting at the church and I needed somewhere to park. And she said, oh, well, don't worry. She said, I'm going out. Just park on my drive. Put your car on my drive. That's no problem. So she walked off down the road. I went to get back a turn to get back into my car. And there was a man in the bushes with a camera taking photos of me. Now, it's London. I just thought they're all a bit odd down here. That might be what they do. So I got in and parked my car on the drive. By the time I got out of the car, this guy is running over to me, camera over his shoulder and his notepad. He said, please, can I just have your name, please? What, what, why? What, what's going on? He said, well, I want your name and I want to know, I've got the photos, I want to know how you know her. He said, how I know who? He said, Kate Moss, the supermodel, you've just been talking to her, how do you know her? <laughs> well, I know about Kate Moss, but to me, Kate Moss looks like that. She always wears posh, very expensive frocks, lots of makeup, hair done, a pretty lady on the red carpet at movie premieres or on the catwalk. I wasn't expecting... A girl in faded jeans, a baggy jumper, no makeup, hair not done on a Tuesday morning in my world. Because I only know her about her, when she came into my life, I completely missed her. I was completely oblivious. But if I'd known her, if I was a friend of hers, if I knew her, I'd have recognized her. Now, I don't spend my life on the catwalk or in that sort of world at all. Nor do I spend my life in the sort of towns and cities that we read about with Jesus. I spend my life, probably the same as you, in the very normal, in the very mundane, at work, at home, in my community. And I just wonder, if I know Jesus, if I really know Jesus, does it make it easier for me to spot his fingerprints at work in my life? And in my community, when Jesus is at work, if I'm in that current relationship with him, do I start to see the world as he sees it? Do I start to see him at work? Have you ever been in that situation? If you have, you'll recognize it straight away. When you're talking to someone, it might just be a colleague at work, it might just be a neighbor, and you're aware that the conversation is going a little bit deeper than it normally does. You might have made a comment in passing about you've just got back from church or something, and rather... Uh, as Mark said, they start asking questions. There's a, you start to see a desire for information and you just get that moment when you actually think, Jesus is doing something here. And that excitement and that tingling and that fear that you're going to mess it up, just but it's that opportunity. But that only comes, we only start to recognize Jesus at work when we know him, when we know his heart towards us and we're able to see him and hear him in our everyday normal work in life it's when we recognize him when we know not just about Jesus but we know him because knowing Jesus changes everything
And so how do we do it? How do we acquire this knowledge? How do we know Jesus in the way that Peter and Paul are talking to that ongoing relationship, that ongoing learning of who he is and what his thoughts towards us and the world that we live in are? Well, the way we don't do it is by working harder. It's so easy, isn't it, to get the idea that I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be more committed. I'm going to be more passionate. I'm just going to do it. But Paul told us that we don't put our confidence in the flesh. Because if we try and do it in our own strength, we are never, ever going to succeed. A few years ago, um, when I had a proper job working for a company, as a rep, we used to have to take people out to play golf, which was just an excuse, really, to not do any work. But having done it for 18 months, I realized I am rubbish at golf. It's not a proper sport. It's not a proper game. It's just a bit of a farce. So after about 18 months of this, I decided that I'd admit defeat and I'd book some lessons and get someone to show me how to play golf. And so the lesson consisted of me going out with a golf pro. We had a round of golf. He watched me. We chatted. We had a nice time. And we got back to his office and he was going to tell me what I needed to do. And this is what he said to me. He said, Steve, your problem is you are trying too hard. Every other sport that you do is about running faster, jumping harder, tackling more commitment, gritting down, gritting your teeth and really going for it. He said, and golf just isn't like that. In fact, that just makes it worse. He says, what you need to do is you need to relax into it and accept that it's a lifetime sport. You need to acknowledge that you're already a golfer. It's just going to take you the rest of the life to be your life to be the kind of golfer that you want to be. And you know, it's not about us trying harder to do stuff. It's about us resting in what Jesus has already done for you. He already loves you. He already thinks you're brilliant. You're already the apple of his eye. He already says that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He has already told you he's never going to leave you or forsake you. And he wants you to rest and live in that because that's how we know Jesus. All these things here, scripture, prayer, God's family, praise and worship, we all know those things help us understand Jesus. But it has to be a heart response and not a head response. It's not about us trying harder with our minds to understand. It's about opening our heart and resting in what he's done. I remember when I was younger and I used to decide I was really going to go for it as a Christian. And so what I'd do is I'd set my alarm clock a couple of hours early to ensure I had time before work to read the Bible. I'd set myself five chapters to read and I'd have dread by the second morning because I'm reading so-and-so, begot so-and-so, begot so-and-so. I'd fall asleep, I did fall asleep, and then was late for work because I overslept. It's not about setting ourselves challenges that we've got to do all this to somehow get God's approval. It's not about reading 20 chapters a day. It's about reading something and having time to meditate on it and that heart response of how does this reveal Jesus' heart to me? What does this tell me about the way that I live? In our prayer life, it's not about taking two minutes to rattle off our request to Jesus and then just walk out the door. Could you imagine if your kids... Anyone who's got teenagers will know. If you've got kids, if they, open, if they open the door and say to your father, this morning I would like breakfast at 8, lunch at 12, a lift to town at 7, and could you do the washing? Thank you. And they went. If they did that every day, what kind of relationship is that? How does that help you understand each other? But it's taking time to pray in a two-way conversation and waiting on God's heart. Whenever you enter a relationship and you get to know people, there's that moment where you meet the family, isn't there? Because if we meet the family, we understand that person a bit better. We think, oh, that's why they're like that. 
but we, ta- we share stories of people who know them, don't we? And God has placed us amongst his family so that we can share our experiences of what Jesus has done in your life, how he's changed your world and what he's doing in mine. We learn and we gain more understanding as we grow together as God's family. And we meet together in praise and worship, not just to fill the time at the start of the service, but to help us get deeper into a relationship and understanding of Jesus. And it takes time. You're already in. You're already part of his family. He loves you. He cares for you. He's passionate about you. And he wants that ongoing relationship where we learn more and more about him. But it's going to take a lifetime. It's a lifetime, as Paul says, of continually moving forward, pushing towards what God has for us. When we know Jesus, it changes everything. Our series is Character That Changes the World. And we ask the question, what do you know? And for me, it's simply this. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him more. I want to know his heart towards me. I want to know his thoughts towards you and the people I work with. I want to know Jesus because it changes everything. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're passionate about us. Thank you, Father, that you're interested in every part of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know you more each day. Help us to commit ourselves to the lifelong journey to really know who you are, to know your thoughts towards us, Father, so that we can be productive and profitable as people and followers of you, Lord Jesus, that we can change the world around us as we get to know you. Amen.